with us uh, for uh, these past uh, few nine, ten weeks. We have been studying elements of the Christian life and how those elements relate to our Christian life. And we've covered everything from joy, grace, forgiveness. Um, Last few weeks, we've been primarily looking at um, our stewardship, our relationship with Christ, um, and how that we are supposed to be good stewards of our relationship with Christ, loving God supremely, loving Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then last week, we covered how that relationship, in turn, uh, begins to essentially affect our worship. And so it's, it's good that when we love God, that it does affect our worship. And our worship is supposed to be primarily, it's supposed to be in, in uh, spirit, it's supposed to be in truth, it's supposed to be sacrificially. And I believe out of that worship then produces a prayer life. I think so many times that we get focused on the disciplines of whether it be having a relationship with God, like I got to read my Bible and pray, or I got to attend church, or I got to worship, instead of actually just really having that time, having the, having the relationship with the Lord as we should. Now, not to say that relationships don't take work. I mean, everybody that's married here knows that relationships do take work. I mean, if you just sit in your man cave all day, and you switch off, and your wife comes to you and says things, and you're just completely zoned out, obviously that relationship's not going to be too good. But um, that relationship, everything that we do in our relationships, whether it's uh, buying our wives flowers or wives doing something special for your husbands, those things are a natural outflow because you have that relationship with that person. And so this morning, we're going to come here to our last message, and this is on prayer. And I really want us to think about uh, our prayer, uh, what it is, um, how it's working um, in our lives, um, what it's supposed to be, how it's supposed to be. And I think it's good to understand how prayer is supposed to be at work um, in our life. So let's take a look at a few things about, uh, about what prayer is. And we're primarily going to be here in John chapter 17. This, of course, is the uh, prayer that Christ prays uh, just before he's going to be led off to be crucified for our sins. And I think you can really sense the heart of Jesus Christ as he prays to his Father. And I hope that maybe we can learn a few things about prayer. And I want to help you learn how to have more of a meaningful prayer life. I must confess that I am no way uh, the guru on prayer. I don't have this figured out. Um, One of the things that we learned about, it's mentioned throughout all of the gospel accounts, that when Christ prayed, his disciples were watching him. And in one account, uh, the disciples say, Lord, teach us to pray. Not how to pray, but teach us to pray. 
And there is a, there's a real understanding there that the disciples, that I'm sure that they had an, a heart that they wanted to pray, but they didn't pray. Teach us to pray. Put that passion in our heart, in our life, to pray to you. And so when we look here in John chapter 17, Christ here, his prayer to the Father, uh, gives us some understanding about what it means to pray. In this prayer here, this is only about 650 words. This prayer is only about 650 words. And to read it only takes about 3 minutes and 30 seconds. But listen to what Jesus prays to his Father. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Verse number six, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Verse number 11. And I am no longer in the world. But they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you. And these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Verse 22. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, 
so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. To see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name. And I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This is the prayer that Jesus Christ prays to his father hours before he's going to be dragged off, beaten, tried in a mock court, crown of thorns put on his head, spit upon, led away to be crucified. In other accounts that we read of this, we find that as Jesus is praying this, he is under so much anguish and so much tension in his life that he literally prays as he's praying. There are sweat glands that are coming off and they are drops of blood because he is under so much anguish. And this is the prayer that he's praying to his father. I believe this is given to us because there's some things that we can learn from it that will teach us to have more of a meaningful prayer life. I believe that sometimes our lives, our prayer lives are not so wrapped up into what the purpose of it is, but it's more focused on what we need in our life. In fact, we know that Jesus says that that he knows that you have need of all these things in your life. He knows that you need food. He knows that you need shelter. He knows that you need clothes. He knows of all the necessities in life that you need. And we are to ask him. We are to talk to him. But is that all that God is? Is he's just some kind of genie that we go to and we ask him for things? You see, our worship, our stewardship of our life should drive us deeper into our relationship that we have with God. And that should be evident in our prayer life as we pray to him. So I want to give you a few things here to think about. There's five things that Christ prays for. Having a more meaningful prayer life. This prayer that Christ prays, it's, it's worthy of our study, because as we seek to learn from and imitate our great co-heir as he approaches our Father, we can learn how, can learn what, we can learn why we are to pray. I believe that all of us can agree that prayer is essential to the Christian life. All of us can. But more importantly, is not the duty or the discipline of our prayer life, but actually the meaning of our prayer life. Why do we pray? What is the purpose behind it? Why? So having a more meaningful prayer life, our prayers should have meaning, not empty, vain repetitions is what the Lord tells us, but to be rooted deep in the love of God Meaning that the more that we come to know God through his word, the more that we come to know God through our worship, that it it drives in us a sense of deep 
appreciation, a deep love for who God is and how he reveals himself. So we'll see this through his love for us, and that should deepen our prayer life. So as we look at this prayer, I want to show you five things that should make your prayer life more meaningful by what Jesus prayed. So let's look at these five things. First of all, the Bible tells us that Jesus prays for safety for his followers. More importantly, it's, it's temptation. That's recorded for us through all the gospel accounts that as Christ prays. He says, you need to pray that you enter not into temptation. Um, when you're faced with times of great trial and difficulty in your life, when there is a temptation in your life, we should pray at that moment. Because Jesus says, pray to keep you from the evil one. Pray that you enter not in temptation. But look what he says specifically in his prayer here in John 17. Verse number 11, And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. Look at verses 15 through 16. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. The reasons why Jesus offers this prayer is, first of all, he himself is going away. Remember what he was talking about to his disciples? He says, I'm going to leave. You'll see me no longer. I'm leaving. He said, if I, if I don't leave, the Holy Spirit can't come. And so he tells us that he's going to be going away. And so his physical existence of him on the earth will no longer be there to protect them. Secondly, they, they like him, do not belong to the world. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are no longer a part of this world. We're now just strangers. We're sojourners. We're people that are just traveling through on our, to our eternal destination. And that is to be in glory with Christ. So if we're not supposed to be of the world, we should not be living like the world. And Jesus makes that very clear here as he tells them to keep them from the evil one. Because just as Jesus is not of the world... We are not to be part of the world. Christ had chosen them out of the world. He chooses us out of the world. He saves us and sanctifies us and reconciles us to himself. And so we're not of this world any longer. The long-term purpose of this protection, Jesus says to his father, look at this, that they may be one even as we are one. What do you think the purpose of that unity is? Why does Jesus pray and ask the Father and say, I want you to protect them. I'm leaving this world. They are not of this world. They're going to be in this world, but they're not of this world any longer. And I want them to be one. Why do you think Jesus asked that? What is the purpose of that? Well, it's to display the love of God. In their life. You see, the Father loves us just as He loves the Son. Listen to what He says in verse 23 in John 17 I and them, and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me and loved them even as you loved me. 
So the Lord is asking for protection for them. The Lord is asking that they be kept from the evil one, for them to be united as one, so that they would display the love of God in their life. But it's also that the love of God may be in us. Listen to what he says in verse 26. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So Jesus' first request here to his father is that we would be kept safe. That we would show forth the love of God. That the love of God would be in us. I want you to think about that just for a moment. When we fall into temptation, the book of James tells us that, it says that when we are Uh, When we lust, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it's finished, it brings forth death. And Christ is asking for us to be protected so that we might show the love of God, so that the love of God would be in us. So Jesus prays for safety for his followers. I want to show you a second thing that Jesus prays for. Jesus prays for unity for his followers. Look what he says in John 17, 20 through 23. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I and them, you and me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. So Jesus prays for unity amongst his followers. Now I must clarify something here. This statement that Christ prays for, for them to be one, Christ is not calling for an ecumenical movement. That's a big term that you hear thrown around today. Christ is not saying that we take down the walls of of doctrine and saying, hey, we just accept anybody and everybody now. There's only one way to God, and that's through Jesus Christ. It's not, well, you have your way, I have my way, and eventually we're going to wind up in the same place. No, sorry. There's only one way to God, and that is through Jesus Christ. And so Christ here, he's praying for unity among them. Can you imagine the first century Christians so worried maybe, wringing their hands together going, oh my word, how in the world are we going to accomplish this great task that God has given us? We're going to have to get together and and maybe form some type of ecumenical movement just to kind of help Christ along. No, that didn't happen. How did the word of the gospel be spread? It's right here in the text. Look what he says here. They saw Jesus' prayer being answered. They witnessed as men and women were coming to Christ. They were being converted from many tribes, many tongues, many nationalities. How did all that happen? Why? Look at what he says here. So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Listen to Jesus as he prays. Look what he says that they may all be one. 
Just as you, Father, and me, and I, and you. Or what purpose was this request that Jesus asked? Look what he says. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. And so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you have loved me. The unity of the followers of Jesus Christ is this. It's the gospel. That is where we find our unity. We find it in the message, the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. That is our unity. That is what we get behind. That is what we proclaim is the gospel. And Christ here is praying for unity of that message, the gospel. You see, the world despises and hates Jesus so much that it will be satisfied with nothing less than the cross. They crucified Christ because they hated him so much. Remember the scene there when Christ was was standing there uh, with Pilate? He washes his hands of, of Jesus. And he's saying, don't you know that I have the power to release you? I have the power to set you free. And he's saying, look, would you rather I release to you Barabbas or Christ? And what would they cry out? They, they said, we want Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. Give us that, that rotten, filthy person. Give us Barabbas. We don't want Jesus. Well, what am I supposed to do with Jesus? Crucify him. Get rid of him. We don't want him. And so Christ says here, there needs to be unity among the believers in the gospel. So if Jesus' prayer is answered, the world itself will learn that God sent him. Because we preach Christ and him crucified. Paul said, I should not know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that's the only message that we have to preach Christ. To preach Christ in the gospel. That's the only thing that's going to turn and convert people. Is the message of Christ. Paul said, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish. It's foolishness. But to us that are saved, it is the power of God. So this is the purpose of the prayer of Christ. This unity for which the Savior prays is that the followers would put on display the incredible truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is to preach Christ. It's to display the love of God. This is what he says again in verse 23. I and them and you and me that they may become perfectly one. So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. And that the love of God may be in us. As he says in verse 26. I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. When we have unity amongst ourselves and we preach Christ as what Jesus is praying for, there is a radical display of God's love in our life. And that's what Christ is praying for. He's praying for unity. Let's look at a third thing that Christ prays for. Look at verse 20 through 23. Jesus prays for sanctification of his followers. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. 
As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their words. Basically, what Jesus is praying for is what we would be called to be holy, a sanctification, to be set apart, to be holy. And this process of which God always uses for sanctification, there's only one way that we come to grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And that is through truth. That is through his word. That's it. David prayed, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed to the word of God. Let this word not depart out of your mouth. But you should meditate on it day and night, is what the Bible tells us. You should be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season and its leaf will not wither. So we are to be sanctified by truth. This is so awesome because Jesus is praying that we will be sanctified, that we would become, that we would, uh, in a sense, grow in our holiness by his truth. Now, if we are ever to grow in our Christian life, it must be through his word. However, in the context here that Jesus is praying, Jesus is not just talking about the word of God, but he's talking about truth. The word, primarily, in view is the message of this book. And what is the message that Jesus is asking for? What is the message that is being preached to us out of the book of John? It's the gospel. And he's saying, if we are going to grow, if we are going to to grow in our holiness, then there has to be an essential, there's an anchor in our life, and that should primarily be the gospel of Christ. I think so many times we think the gospel is just for the unsaved. It's not. It's for those that know Christ as well. And as long as we continue in the gospel... We are being sanctified in the gospel. We're being set apart for God's use for his work in our life. It is made clear to us by what Jesus ends this request. Look what he says. He says, for their sake, I consecrate, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. And Jesus went to the cross, didn't he? He consecrated himself to his father. He went to the cross. He bore our shame. And he sanctified us through that. So Jesus does not sanctify himself in the sense of making himself more holy. Rather, what he means is that he sets himself apart to do the will of God. And his father's will alone. And that means that he willingly goes to the cross. Jesus knowing full well of what awaited him. He knew. He knew what was going to happen. He knew. But he did it anyways. He says, for their sake, I consecrate myself. But the purpose of this is that, notice what he says, that they also may be sanctified in truth. You see, no one can ever be made holy or sanctified apart from what Jesus has done by sanctifying himself on the cross. 
By sanctifying himself, Jesus perfectly obeyed his Father and went to the cross to bear our sins in his own body on that tree. And this is the good news that we preach. That is the gospel. That is the truth of the gospel is what truly sanctifies a person. You see, the result, of course, is that we no longer are of the world because we are sanctified. Because there's been a radical change, a transformation in our heart, we're no longer of the world. As Jesus said to some Pharisees one time, he said, you are, the fa- you are children of the devil. Your father's the devil. But we're no longer like that if you know Christ as your savior. We've been taken out of this world. And that is why we'll need protection from the, wor- from the world and from the evil one, which brings us back to the first request that Jesus prays for, for protection from the evil one. Notice what Jesus says about the sanctifying truth, that just as Jesus was sent into the world, notice what he says. This is something he's praying. He says, just as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. You see that? You see what Jesus is praying for? Jesus is saying to his father, he's saying, Lord, you sent me so that I may obey your will, so that I might sanctify them through the preaching of the gospel, through the gospel that I'm going to put on display. And he says, so now I'm praying, Father, that you would send them now into the world with what? The same message of the truth of the gospel that we preach to others. So we're being sent into the world but I love this because <laughs> he says not just for the ones that are here and now, but even for the ones that are in the future. I mean, that just blows my mind that Jesus Christ is praying this and he's saying not just for these people here, not just for these disciples, but for you in the future, for me in the future, for the other people that we're going to encounter and preach Christ to those people in the future as well. Jesus prays for that. Let's look at a fourth thing that Jesus prays for. Jesus prays for his joy to be fulfilled in us. John chapter 17, verse number three. He says, but now I'm coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Now, if you can remember the, the disciples were very confused and a lot of the things that Jesus said. In fact, I remember, uh, I think it's here in John, Jesus basically just tells them plainly what's going to happen. He says, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die, but I'm coming back. And they said, finally, you now finally tell us exactly what you mean behind all this stuff. It's kind of like, uh, you know, many times we as men say things and our wives try to interpret those things. How many of you ever been in that predicament? Yeah, absolutely, right? Or the other way around. We try to interpret what they're saying. Jesus here, he tells them very plainly what's going to happen in his life. You see, the disciples had no concept of a crucified Messiah. They didn't see that. They did not foresee that. That was not on their radar. 
They saw Jesus coming. They saw him and they said, hey, boy, this is the one. This is the one that's going to release us out of this Roman oppression. This is the one that's going to set everything straight. They had no concept of Christ going to a cross. But soon they would come to learn this. It would become very evident in their life that what Jesus said and what his words meant to them. So Jesus' path to the cross was his Father's will, and it was for their good. And all the joy that would be theirs would come from what was still to them horribly confusing and very disappointing. And so Jesus prays this, and he says, But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So here was the true reality of their joy and our joy, of what our joy should be. It's Jesus' own joy doing the will of the Father. That's where we find true joy in our Christian life. Doing the will of the Father. Just as Jesus had satisfaction and joy in doing his Father's will, we too find true joy in doing the Father's will. So it's in the obedience that Jesus has for his Father in doing that, that we too experience the same joy by obeying the Father's will for our life as well. And this is something that Jesus prayed for. Here's the last thing that Jesus prayed for. Jesus prays that we will be with him forever. John 17, verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me. Why? Because you love me before the foundation of the world. John 17, verses 4 through 5. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. You see, this is an interesting request because why would Jesus ask for this? Notice that word, because. If there's anything that we should learn about Christ, if there's anything that we should learn about God, if there's anything that we should learn about the truth of the gospel, it's driven down to this very point here. Because you love me before the foundation of the world. You see, he wants all those whom he has given to the Son to witness the Son's glory. You, do, you, do you realize what an awesome thing it's going to be when we're all gathered together at the marriage supper of the Lamb? All of us have our wedding garments on, and here comes the bridegroom. That is going to be an awesome event. And we are going to see the glory of Jesus Christ as he is. And the Father wants us to share in that glory. And he prays and he says, look, I'm praying because you love me even before the foundation of the world. You see, the ultimate purpose of the request is the glory of the Son. The final revelation of Jesus Christ. It will be revealed to us. We will see him as he is. That's going to be amazing. 
that's going to be spectacular. That's going to be something that we will relish in, that we will enjoy for all of eternity to see him who died for us. To see his nail prints in his hands. To see the hole in his side. To see Christ as he is. You see, the Father has given those who have believed in Jesus to his Son. Look what he says. I desire that they also, whom you have given me to be, may be with me where I am to see my glory. And Jesus is praying for that. He's asking that we would be with him to see his glory for who he really is. You see, it's interesting to see that Jesus prayed for this same thing earlier as he did in verses 4 through 5. And this glory that Jesus wants us to see is from the love of God, even before the foundation of the world. So how then am I supposed to have a more meaningful prayer life? Mike, you haven't talked anything about prayer. You just talked about what Jesus prayed for. How am I supposed to have a more meaningful prayer life based upon what Jesus prayed? If anything, Mike, you haven't said anything about how to pray, what to pray. You haven't told me the discipline of prayer. Should I kneel, sit, stand? How should I pray? What should I pray for? And I think that is where we fall short in our prayer life. Prayer is not about us. Prayer is about him. And Jesus makes that very evident as he prays to his father. You see, our salvation is not about us. It's to reveal the glory of God and the love of God. Our salvation is not about you. It's not about me. It's all about him. Revealing the love of God. Revealing and showing to the world the love of God. Our sanctification, our growth that Jesus prays for. It's not about us. It's all about him. And Jesus prays. He says, Lord, I'm asking that the sanctification that you're going to work in their life, that it would show out the love of God, that it would show to the world the glory of God. Our sanctification, our growth, it's not about us. It's about him. Our unity that we have with the gospel, it's not about us. It's all about him, about his glory and his love. Our joy that we have in Christ being obedient to the Father, it's not about us. It has everything to do with him because it's his joy that he gives us. And it's to reveal the love of God and the glory of God. And our safety, even our safety from the tempter, From the evil one, it's not about us. It's all about him. It's about his glory and his love. So everything that God does in our lives is for his glory and his love to be put on display. To be revealed and to experience. So then I ask you this question. So then why should our prayer life be any different? What did Jesus primarily pray for? He prayed that the glory of God would be revealed 
He prayed that the love of God may be revealed. When speaking to his disciples, Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things should be added unto you. So when we pray, I think so many times that our prayer life is about all of our problems, all of our difficulties, all of our trials. Does the Lord know that all that exists? Yes, he does. And it should never be in our prayer life, Lord, I'm dealing with this difficult person. Would you please just send a lightning bolt down and strike them and get rid of them out of my life? No. Remember the disciples asked about, Lord, should, we, should you just, we should ask for fire. It comes down from heaven, consume all these people. Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking for. Should our prayer life be about, Lord, I'm going through this difficult time and situation. Would you just please just take care of it? I think Paul prayed that, didn't he? Says he sought the Lord three times for this, for this infirmity that was in his life. And Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. He says, in your weakness, Paul, I'm gonna, the people are going to see the glory and the grace of God in your life. And so what should our prayer be? It should be, Lord, whatever the situation, whatever the difficulty, whatever the trial, I want your love and your grace and your glory to be shown out of my life. But so many times our prayers are, Lord, would you do this? 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 God cares about all those things. He says that he cares about them. He, even as a, as, a, as a sparrow that falls in the wilderness, he knows and he cares. He says, how much more should your heavenly father care about your needs? He knows you have those needs. But Jesus here is teaching us something, how to have a more meaningful prayer life by allowing the love of God and the glory of God to be put on display in our needs. And that's what we need in our life. That's what I need in my life. That's what we need here as a church, as a group of followers of Jesus Christ. We need to pray and ask the Lord, Lord, would you use this in our life? So that you might be seen more evidently in our life. It's not about what I need, what I need, what I want, what I seek. It should all always be about Him. The Lord knows what you need. Lord knows what I need. But are we following the pattern of what Jesus has here? Of seeking God, seeking the Lord, seeking His glory, seeking His love in our life. Let's pray together.